us a chance to come into this sanctuary and praise and feed, feed upon your word that your manservant will serve us today. Give us strength, Lord, to just be still, to quieten our spirits, to quieten our minds, and open our hearts to receive your word. As we gathered here, we come with all kind of things going on in our daily lives and in our world. But you are that constant peace if we just open our hearts, our minds to receive it. You have never left us alone or forsaken us. We thank you for that, God. We thank you, Lord, for your peace, your love, your grace. Give us strength, Lord, to spread that love and peace and grace by sharing the word with everyone we encounter coming into this week. We thank you, Lord, and we nothing without you. Amen. The scripture that we are looking at today is Psalms 27, 1 and 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army encamps against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. While we walk the pilgrim pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. But when traveling, Days are over, not a shadow, not one side. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be when, when we all see Jesus, we'll sing, shout, shout the victory. Let us then be truth and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. We'll sing, shout, shout the victory. Let's all be prepared to stand for the man of God that will be coming to us to break unto us the bread of life. We sing, stand in the need of prayer. We sing all three stanzas of that. Let's all be standing as we prepare our minds for the brother. Not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. 
It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not not my brother, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my father, not my mother, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And not the preacher nor the deacon, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not the preacher nor the deacon, but it's me, oh Lord, I'm standing in the need of prayer. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Numbers chapter 31, verses 3 through 4. So Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves for war and let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to war. Amen. I tell you, it's always refreshing to see a nice, bright sunshine after a refreshing rain from God. Amen. I want to say good morning, and, and whether you're a member of this Franklin family, a visitor, or a virtual guest, I am certainly delighted and grateful that you are here today and grateful that God has brought us together for yet another opportunity for worship, praise, and a fellowship among the saints of God. Now shortly, I, I hope you got your Bible as well, but a lot of these verses are going to be on the board, but if you got your Bible, that's a good thing. Shortly, we're going to open up the Bible to the book of 1 Peter, and my invitation is for you to join me there as these verses will serve as the context of today's lesson, Rising War. 1 Peter will serve as the context for today's lesson entitled Rising War, Rising War. You know, I'm not one to, to look at movies when it involves soldiers or war or anything like that because movies tend to, to make war somewhat glamorous. Uh, they make it something other than the reality that it is. It's been said that old men make wars while young men fight and die in the middle of those wars. And lives are, it changed forever. Lives are changed forever in warfare. And Christian lives, those of us who are Christians, our lives are changed forever in the middle of a spiritual warfare as well. Oftentimes, the lives we lead as Christians are often depicted as those that are lives of war. It was Paul who told Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. And to the Ephesians, Paul said, put on the whole armor of God. It was John the Revelator in John, in Revelation chapter 12, and verse 17. John wrote, and the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, let me explain this. Let me give you the background, because a lot of people don't understand John the Revelator and his words. 
The background for this is that the dragon is Satan, and he's enraged with the woman who is depicted as physical Israel, who gave birth to spiritual Israel through Jesus Christ. And that's you, and that's me. We are spiritual Israel, and we are the ones whom the devil wages war against. So you see, it's from the beginning to the end. You have this unbroken thread that, that Christian life is often seen as a war. Each and every one of us war each day. We go to war each day, and everybody has their different battles to fight. Amen. We do. First Peter chapter 2 and verse number 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. First Peter chapter 4 and verse number 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. First Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8. Familiar scripture, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The point of this is, is very clear, at least it's clear to me. I'm, I'm hoping I'll make it clear to you this morning as well. The point is very clear that Christianity was never depicted as a day at Disney. Christianity has never been a walk in the park for any of us. It's never been depicted as, as having your ticket punched and, and, never been revoked, and never have to be revoked at all. We've just got it made. Christianity has never been like that. But I want you to understand that, that there's a side of Christianity that is tremendous. There's a tremendous blessing on, on one side of, of, of Christianity that, that we just can't even fathom because being in Christ is unmatched by anything this world has to offer. Anything. And because of that reality, Satan will never ever give up on us. James 4, 7 says these words, therefore submit to God. You submit to God and you resist the devil and, and he will flee from you. What James is saying is that, 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 that the devil is persistent, but he's also resistant. He says, you just resist him, and he, he will flee from you. You know, sometimes you, <laughs> your kids, when they're young, you try to resist them, but they still, you just, <laughs> nothing you can do, amen? Satan is not that way. James says that if you resist him, he will flee. You know, being a soldier myself, it's, it's a difficult task for me to speak of the atrocities that, that beset men that are engaged in, in warfare because there is dirt, there's darkness, there's billowing smoke, there's unimaginable noise from, from the exchange of gunfire and explosions. And then there's the stench of death, the stench of death all around us. And it's a circumstance that, that no 18 or 19 or 20-year-old should ever have to experience. But you're there. But you're there. And you're there as the tension builds in anticipation of crawling out of a foxhole and running straight into enemy fire. You say a prayer. Look around to your right. And you look to your left. And with the shared nod from your comrade, with confidence, you engage the battle. In the church of our Lord, we are indeed a band of brothers and sisters. We're a band of brothers and sisters fighting a common enemy, Satan. 
And he's the one who has customized, he has a customized blueprint that's drawn up for our spiritual destruction. He seeks only to kill you. Some people fight just to fight. That's not Satan's MO. He will fight so that he may kill you. I need you to understand that. This is about life and death. This is spiritual warfare. I want you to understand that Satan is also aware of the strength that comes from worshiping God alongside the people of God. He knows how strong we are in numbers. He also realizes the value of Christian influence on those of us who are devoted to God. Satan also understands the eternal reward that awaits those of us who bear the battle in obedience to God. In order to bear the battle, we have to be obedient to God, and we have never, ever give up the fight. Again, I believe Satan, he has a blueprint that is individually drawn, because what tempts me may very well not tempt you. So, so he draws a blueprint that is individual to our circumstance and a blueprint that's individual to our very own spiritual weaknesses, and we all have those. For we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Just when we think that we're strong, the Bible says you, you're not strong at all. And Satan draws a blueprint and directs it at our very own spiritual weaknesses. You know what they are. I don't know what your weakness is. But I've got my own to deal with. I'm, I'm in a battle myself as well. Paul says the things that I want to do, I just don't do those things. But the things that I don't want to do, I find myself over and over and over again because of my spiritual weakness. Now I want to talk about three things this morning and then, then the lesson will be yours. I want to talk about the spiritual strength of worship. I want to talk about the Christian value of, of influence. I want to talk about obedience to God. I want to talk about those things and how they bear on this rising spiritual warfare in which Satan directs his attack at each and every one of us. Let's talk about strength of worship. He assaults us with discouraging thoughts about worshiping God. And it's not just discouragement on the Lord's day, but it's also day by day by day. Some people regret waking up in the morning because they know that they have to deal with the drudgery of suffering and pain and all those things that the world has to throw at us. It's discouraging. And it's not just discouraging on the Lord's day, it's discouraging every waking moment of our lives. 1 Peter 2.5, Peter says to the Jews of dispersion, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are a holy priesthood. And we are to bring our sacrifice to the altar of God. We are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices on the altar of service to God. And that's individual worship. It's individual but, but let's talk for a moment about congregational worship because what we do together in times such as these is not just some mundane or ritual religious routine. It, it, it's not a, a mindless exercise. Worship is designed by God to do something for us and to do something to us. Did you get that? God designed worship to do something to us 
and to do something for us. A lot of people say, what you put in is what you get out of it. I don't know about that. Some people put some things in worship that shouldn't be there. Listen, on the one hand, proper worship is what pleases God. Proper worship from those the Father seeks to worship him in spirit and truth, it pleases God. And, and with that said, proper worship is a mixture of heart and mind. Proper worship is a mixture of emotion and intellect. Proper worship is a, a mixture of obedience and sincerity. It's worship to God. Jesus said in spirit and truth, it's worship to God. And since Satan doesn't like anything that pleases God, he will engage you in warfare to take that out of your life's equation. He will love nothing more, Satan will love nothing more than for you to place God out of sight and out of mind. But for most of us, that's, that's not an option. It's not an option for us to eliminate God from our lives. What Satan would like, though, he would like for us to be happy, he would like for us to be successful, and he would like for us to be godless. And he does that by, by minimizing our need, listen to me, to assemble for worship. He does it by minimizing our need to assemble for worship and a worship that will benefit our very soul. Too many people say this, but I don't know if they mean it or not. Psalm 122.1. Say it all the time. I was glad when they said to me, <laughs> let's go. And when I was growing up, you know what we used to call it? When I, let's go to church. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I got to tell you, it's an act of pure and amazing grace that God made worship to benefit us as well as to honor him. He didn't have to do that. Worship reminds us that, that we are more than flesh and blood. Worship reminds us that we are eternal. Worship draws us closer to God. Assembling together reminds us that we are not the center of attention and it opens up our eyes to all of the blessings of God. It's not about me. It's all about the glory of God when we worship God. Let me tell you about worship. Worship challenges us to, to live above the world's standards. There's too many of us who, who just want to just get along and, and just be satisfied with the so-and-so. We are to live above those standards. God calls for excellence from Christians. And worship challenges us to live above the world's standards. Worship. Worship lifts us up by reminding us of the love of God and unites us with others who reciprocate their sincere and their true love right back to God. Isn't it wonderful when somebody loves you and, and, and you love them right back? With those of us who are like mine, we, we come together in the assembly of God. And God loves us so much and we reciprocate that love right back. And because worship does some things for us that you can't get anywhere else, Satan will war. He's going to wage war to keep us from worshiping God. And he does that because of the good that comes from us just being together in the presence of our God, just like right now like that. We are a congregation of God's children together in the presence of God. Doesn't get any better than that. Doesn't get any better than that. 
First of all, Satan is going to try to keep us from assembling with other Christians. I want you to listen to me now. Satan will try to keep us from assembling with other Christians. And, and that matters to God. It matters to God that we come together. Here's what I think. Brother Collins here. Here's what I think. I think that the devil is ecstatic about the fact that the pandemic has kept Christians from being together in worship. I think he's ecstatic about that. Even though after a long battle, we, we see a little light at the end of the tunnel as it pertains to COVID, I think the devil will do his best to convince people that you can go to work, <laughs> that you can go to school, that you can go to the grocery store, you can even go to a restaurant or anywhere else except a Sunday assembly to worship God. This is what I got for you. I, I need you to get this. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 17 says, and I want you to wrap your minds around this. Listen to me real good. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am reasonably certain that as Christians, two or three of us gather at work. I am certain that at school, two or three of us gather at school. I am certain that, that at a grocery store, three of us gather together. Even in restaurants, there's more than three. <laughs> and we do it as unto the Lord. We gather in the name of the Lord, and it has absolutely nothing to do with worship. And neither does Matthew 18, 20. What does Matthew 18, 20 say? Let's get it. It's a, it's a famous scripture. For whether two or three are gathered in my name, help me out. How many people say that? Where two or three are gathered at the grocery store, that's not worship. Do it in the name of the Lord, don't you? Watch out now. I believe that fellowship is good and that a certain number of people gather for worship is not a prerequisite for scriptural worship. I believe the church needs to come together for worship because that is the whole idea behind the meaning of the word church. Christian worship is when we assemble as a people of God, the church, when we come together to pay homage to God. Let me tell you something. Two or three people can do this if there's no church in the area for them to assemble. However, when there is a congregation of God's people in an area or community who are led and governed by the scriptural leadership, by the Holy Spirit, we need to meet those people there. And whether two or three Christians or two or three hundred Christians, we have got to meet. But Matthew 18, 20 does not support this teaching. Let me give you the context. Because too long in the Church of Christ, this has been taught and been accepted, and I'm telling you, it's dead wrong. Let's get it. Matthew 18, 20 is the verse where Jesus concludes a point that he's making about getting along with a brother or a sister who is in sin or just sinned against you. And if you start at verse number 15 and go all the way down at verse number 20, you get the whole context of it. Jesus is teaching that when you have a deal with, when you, when you got to deal with sin, when you got to deal with disagreements or confrontations of any sort, when you come together to work those things out in the name of Jesus, he's there to support you. That's what that means. When two or three come together in my name, I'm in the middle of you when you're ready to dissolve a dispute. It has absolutely nothing to do with worship. That's not the context. Where we at now? We got to fight that back. We got to fight Satan back and stop teaching that Matthew 18, 20 is about worship because it is not. 
It's a mere, it's a mere trial and a selfish justification to worship God on your own. To worship him your own way. Pull out all the time. Oh, well, two or three are gathered, Brother Collins. Yeah, we're going to get you some popcorn for that one. <laughs> Matthew 18, 20 has absolutely nothing to do with worship. It's about resolving disputes. When you come together as a church and resolve disputes, Christ says I'm right among you. Why? Because he's the God of peace. Amen. That's why. And one thing that Satan knows is that, that God wants his people together. He knows that. Because we need each other. I need you and, and you need me. We need the fellowship of one another. We need encouragement in the teachings of one another. And we need to be reminded that Jesus is coming back. So we worship. And we worship together. Because when he comes back, he's not coming back to get us individually. I do understand, though, and, and I want to be insensitive at all. I do understand that, that there are some who simply cannot be with us physically as yet. God knows that as well. And, and some, by virtue of age or health issues, should not be with us just yet. They shouldn't be here. But it's hard to believe that that number should be shrinking smaller and smaller over the course of time. Hard for me to believe that. Let's understand that, that when we get accustomed to spiritual isolation, we put ourselves in danger of losing the battle for our souls. It's spiritual warfare. Satan is much stronger when, when we're by ourselves. He overpowers us when we are alone. When we are alone and not in the battle with the strength of the congregation, it's much easier for you to cut corners. It's much easier to become spiritually complacent or even self-satisfied. I got to tell you, when this is finally behind us, when COVID is no longer an issue, and it may very be for years to come, but when it's finally behind us, Satan is still going to come back into your life. He's going to try to convince you that now, since you don't have to worry about that, maybe you're just too tired to go. <laughs> now you don't have to worry about the pain. Maybe you're just too busy to go to church, or maybe you're just too important to be there. Maybe you just don't want to assemble for the glory of God and worship. I gotta tell you, it doesn't matter. Look, they're making some good looking pajamas right now. If you wanna bust in this door in your pajamas, come to the worship of God. If you can. Amen? Amen. But don't tell me nothing about where two or three are gathered. I, I, I'm not the one. There is an ongoing and rising war of our souls that we need to be aware of. It's our reality. Each and every one of us has a battle going on in our lives, a spiritual battle. And I'm going to say this to you, and I'm going to get off this subject. The more you miss church, the less you miss church. And I wonder how many of God's children have been in a losing battle with Satan over what God asks us to do. And it's just a symbol. Not at the grocery store. Not at the restaurant. Amen. Not at school. Satan assaults us, second thing, with distraction from serving God. Listen, we, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience 
We are spiritual beings having a human experience. I need you to get that. I need you to understand that. For me as a human being, I, I, I tell you, I, sometimes I, I get distracted real easily. I'm, I'm sort of like, like Martha in Luke chapter 10 and verse number 40. But Martha was distracted with, with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, you tell her to come help me. <laughs> Martha is distracted. But she's not distracted by anything that's illegal. She's not distracted by the immoral or the unrighteous. Martha's not distracted by anything that's ungodly. She is distracted by doing what is good. Sometimes we are good people doing good things, but we allow our heart and our attention to be captured to the point that we wear it on our sleeves. And we wear it so much that we think we're the only ones that are doing good. Listen, we, we can still have our love for God distracted by priority. We can have our love for God distracted by money or importance. We can have our love for God distracted by our very own will. I mean, listen, we, whether we're rich or poor, we're still distracted by money. It's just a different perspective, that's all. Amen? And then we're distracted by, by the pleasures of the world. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, Paul says this to Timothy. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers Oh, how I love Jesus. Satan, Satan wants to put as much distance as he possibly can between you and me. He wants to put as much distance as he possibly can between you and me and God. He doesn't want us together. If he can divide and conquer, that's what he will do. And when he does, we will die. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, and he may please him who has enlisted him as a soldier. I'm not trying to say that our daily activities puts us at odds with God because, because they shouldn't. Our daily activities shouldn't. It's just that God expects there to be a balance to our life and a balance that deters sinful distractions. Talk about obedience. Talk about that. He assaults us by deceiving us into disobedience. Distraction from serving God and discouragement from worshiping God, they are very real. They're real. But it may very well be that Satan's greatest weapon is deception. One of the evil said, listen, he said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. But before she said that, God asked her a question. What is this that you have done? What do you mean, God? Look, look, the serpent deceived me, and I, it wasn't my fault. Have you ever been deceived? Ever? How about them knockoffs that you buy? Deception. Deception. You ever been tricked or fooled or, or conned in a, 
to, to just bind in and everything? Listen, once you receive it, immediately you know that, that you've been had. You've been taken. You, your heart has been eaten out by what you have forbidden the whole while. You know what Satan will never say to a Christian? He will never say to a Christian, this is a good day to abandon God. He'll never tell you that. But if he can, if he can just plant a seed, just whisper in your ear a convincing word that our thoughts and our deeds are justified, it will grow and produce something, something that's real, some terrible things in our lives. Just a whisper, just, just a planted seed. 1 Corinthians 6 and 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Look at those three words, four words. Do not be deceived. If you're a fornicator, don't deceive yourself. If you worship other gods, idolaters, don't deceive. If you're an adulterer, a homosexual, sodomite, don't deceive yourself. Some of those folks call themselves Christians, and some Christians are going to be deceived and they're thinking they can live ungodly and still inherit the kingdom of God. You're going to think that somehow, in some way, living that way will be all right with God and that he's going to give them a pass. Listen to me. It's called deception. Deception. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be, there it is again, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Evil company corrupts good morals. Right? Let me just say that, that we often quote this to teenagers, but, but that verse wasn't written to teenagers. It's a hot fact for you. Wasn't written to teenagers. That verse was written to full-grown Christian men and women, written to me and you. So how you look? How you doing with your company? How you doing with that? Proverbs chapter 12 and verse number 26. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So then you don't be deceived. You don't be deceived. If you listen to the wrong people, you can lose your soul. Don't be deceived. Evil company will destroy the spiritual discipline that you've developed along your Christian walk. It'll tear it apart. James comes along. You know what James says? James 1.26. If anyone among you thinks that he's religious. Oh, here we go. And he does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart. His religion is in vain. His religion is useless. Satan wants to deceive us into believing that faith in our hearts have no connection to the works in our lives. Faith without works. So if you think if you think you're religious to the point that, that the words you speak won't matter to God, James says you have deceived yourself. He says you've lied to God and you've lied to your own heart. Some people believe that in the doctrine of, of faith only. They really do. And Satan will tell you what you want to hear about your own religious beliefs. Listen to me. He'll tell you what you want to hear about your own religious beliefs. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, 
speaking to them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. Listen to me. Far too many people practice their own religion. They practice their own religion and they're deceived by the comfort of a perceived salvation from their own obedience. I mean, when you look at the world, all you got to do is die and you're going to heaven. Where did he get that from? Where did he get it from? Romans chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Through him, through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience of faith among all nations for his name, among who you also are called of Jesus Christ. What you saying to me, Paul? He's saying it's not obedience in your own beliefs. It's not obedience in what you want to believe. It's not faith into your own obedience. It's obedience of faith in Jesus Christ. Because only in obedience of faith in Jesus Christ do we receive grace and apostleship, not in what we want to believe and not faith in our own obedience either. So how in the world can you allow Satan to twist your understanding of that? And how can you allow Satan to twist your, your understanding of Ephesians 2.8? He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. <laughs> and nothing to do with your own obedience. It, it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It is obedience of faith. Amen. Far too many of us have engaged in our own practice of religion and were deceived by the comfort of perceived salvation from our own obedience. We obey in ourselves and not God. We obey our own desires and not the will of God. And that, my friends, is a losing battle. Losing battle. I don't care how many people out there doing it, and you think that is right. If it's not in the book, take a second look. Take a second look. It's a losing battle. It's a dark and lonely battle that rises up, and it only leads to death. This is what I want to do. I want to turn to James chapter 1, and I want to back into these verses so you might get to understand them. Usually we read the verses in order, right? Let me back into these. James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 17 and go to verse 15. Listen to God. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Verse 15. Then when desire is conceived, look at it, it gives birth to sin. And sin when it is full grown brings forth death. Brings forth death. Far too many of us has engaged in our own practice of religion. And it only will bring forth death. Death. Satan wants to fill all of us up with, with, with just resentment. You know, when, when things don't go our way or the scriptures don't go like we think, oh, you, you got your religion and I got mine. Okay. All right. You understand the scriptures the way you want to and understand the way I want to. All right. Where you get that resentment from? Where does that come from? Satan wants to fill us up with resentment. When things in our lives don't go the way we want them to go, you know what Satan does? He blames it on an act of God. And if he can't blame it on an act of God or even God, he blames it on, on unfair treatment from a family member. Oh, they treat me bad. 
or unfair treatment from your brother, and even in the church, sometimes people will treat, here's the reality, they'll treat you bad, and, 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 and that's a battle from Satan that we have to deal with. We've got to fight that battle and win and resist that. The battle lines have been drawn, and Satan's rising war is loaded with the weapons of distraction, weapons of deceit, and weapons of discouragement. And the things that, that Peter speaks about this morning is crystal clear. Even though he begins with the thought of waging war and, and, and arming ourselves, what he says, though, throughout the whole book of 1 Peter is that we are not alone in this rising spiritual battle. We're not alone. Not alone. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. You ever heard that before? First Peter 2, 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. First Peter chapter 4 and verse number 8, above all things have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Love one another. That's crystal clear. Love one another. Stop waging war against each other. Keep on loving each other fervently because, because we are children of the same family. I got to tell you how I grew up again. I had an older brother. If somebody picked on me, I told my older brother, and he came and he fought for me. Am I right? Doesn't matter whether it was an older sister who had a younger brother. If you fooled that older sister's younger brother, she was coming for you. <laughs> the problem in the church is that we don't want to fight for each other even though we're in the same family. We've got to fight for one another instead of fighting with one another. Right? We are stones in the same building, so stop throwing rocks at me. We're priests in the same temple, so stop trying to blemish my sacrifice. We're citizens in the same nation of heaven, so stop trying to push me out. There's going to be circumstances. There's going to be circumstances in all of our lives that will make it convenient for Satan to discourage us, distract us, and deceive us. And when that war rises in your life, you know what I want you to do? I want you to look to the left and look to the right. I want you to look up to God and know that we must keep up the fight. We've got to keep up the fight. Yes. And why? Isaiah says, no weapon. Who? None. No weapon formed against me will prosper. We've got to keep up the fight. Because lives are changed forever in warfare. They change forever. And Christian lives are changed forever in spiritual warfare, in this spiritual battle that we experience right now. No one. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. You know what God gives us? He gives us the opportunity to enlist in a cause that will ultimately end in victory. I want you to be converted. I want, I want your mind and your heart to be changed. It's, it's like Peter was in Acts chapter 10 on that roof. God says, listen, Peter, 
You're not going to tell me that you're not going to eat meat? There are too many of us who want to tell God what to do. We need to be converted because we are soldiers in God's army. And we've got to keep the fight up. Let me tell you something. When, when I was in the military, and it still goes on today, there's something known as friendly fire. You know what friendly fire is? There are some people in your squadron who are too weak, and they don't have a mind to fight at all. And when battle breaks out, you know what you got to do? That's right, send them home. And not walking. It's about life or death out there. And it's happening over and over and over. If you don't understand war, then you don't understand what friendly fire is. You send them home. Because they endanger the life of the whole squadron. There are people in the Lord's church who are too weak to fight and refuse to fight. You're going to cause death to the whole congregation. That's a fact. I'm talking about war. I'm talking about life and death. I'm talking about going to heaven together as a body in Christ because no one is going there individually. You can fight all you want by yourself. If you don't include me in your battle, you're not going by yourself, and you're not going to win. Again, Jesus is not coming back to get us individually. The trumpet sounds, he says, every eye will see him. Every eye. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm coming back to receive you as my very own, that where I am, you think he's talking to one person there? That where I am, all of you may be also, that bore the battle, that won the fight, that, that, that know that we have the victory in Christ Jesus. That's what he said, and you can know that this morning as well. We can suppress and fight back the darkness in our lives. The darkness that make war against God. We can suppress and fight back the darkness in our lives. The darkness that makes war against our brethren. We can suppress and fight back the darkness in our lives that make war against our loved ones, spouses, and brothers and sisters that are physical brothers. There's too much, too much strained relationships and it's all about Satan. Because you, all you want to do is fight. You, you don't want any peace. You're fighting the wrong battle. Brothers killing brothers, sisters killing sisters, parents dying by the hands of children. Because they can't get along. We can fight back the darkness in our lives that make war against God and against our very souls. You can do it. You can do it. Because the rising war is ever, ever present. Will you do it? God calls us to hear his word, John 6, 45. It's written in the prophets and says, you all be taught of God. Every man therefore that heard and learned of the Father, he says, comes unto me. Stop fighting God. We gotta believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of the true and living God, John 8, 24. Truly I say to you, that if you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. By yourself. Nobody's gonna die with you. By yourself. 
we got to confess Christ. Whether there's three of us at the grocery store, at work, or at a restaurant. Confess him. Confess his name. And then you might truly be able to say, well, you know, I'm gathering in Christ's name. But it's still not worship. I need you to understand. I need you to see that. And I hope you saw that this morning. Let's stop using Matthew 18, 20 for that. <laughs> we got to repent of our sins. Far too many people don't want to say they're sorry. And that's what is a raging battle in our lives every day. Every day. <laughs> stand up for me, I'll stand up for you. Defend me, and I'll defend you. But you can't lie to me. I, I got to know the truth of the matter. Because if I don't know the truth, I can't fight correctly. Right? I'm going and losing already. I got to know the truth. Amen? We got to be baptized in water for remission of our sins. Because that's how we find ourselves in Christ. For we all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Not a faith of your own. It's obedience of faith in Christ Jesus. Not a faith in what you want to obey. For we all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of us as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It's a rising battle out there. Will you surrender to God? Will you surrender to God? Because the forces of the world are, are forces that we just can't fight against. Jesus Christ gives us the victory. Will you accept it? Will you come? As we stand and sing invitation song. To Jesus I surrender all. To him I freely give. Whether you want today to resist, stop resisting the fight and come to Christ. Find yourselves in the church that he purchased with his own blood and your soul washed by his blood. Will you come? Will you surrender? Surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior. I Good morning, Church. I want to thank Brother Collins for that powerful message on this morning. I'm Brother Hall, and I have the response cards. Sister Tracy Hunter, health-related, spiritual strength. She writes, please pray for my